Good to have each and every one of you. And as uh, Brother John was saying, it's good to see Brother Mark here this morning. And uh, after his battle, he's still battling, but he is much better than he was. We've been talking to him every week. He seems to be just getting stronger, and that's an answer to prayer, and we're so thankful for that. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to James chapter number two. We're going to continue our series on genuine Christianity. And in fact, this morning, listen, it should be a short message, okay? Because it's like the second half of the last message that I preached two weeks ago, all right? So uh, it should be short. All I have is two points. And, uh, but as I told the first service, you know, sometimes even those short messages turn into long messages for whatever reason. I don't know. I'm not going to blame myself. I just blame everyone else. All right. So uh, no, it should be a quick message this morning, but hopefully something that will challenge us, something that will um, teach us a little bit about faith and works. Because in this chapter, we've been learning about how uh, genuine faith has works and where, how do those two get along? Uh, as we were starting this chapter, I told you that uh, Martin Luther, the great reformer, did not like the book of James. He thought, man, it just says everything opposite of what the book of Romans says. But when we study, as we've studied, uh, you find that actually it's not opposite at all. They actually complement one another. They actually go together so well. And it's so important for us to see that because it helps us in our life to be able to ask ourselves and evaluate, is my faith real? Is my faith genuine? Uh, and how many know that uh, being genuine or having genuine faith doesn't come about just because I claim to have that, right? Um, it's kind of like with antiques or vintage uh, uh, items. It's not vintage just because you say it's vintage. It has to have really had years gone by and it has to be something that truly is vintage. That's why uh, whenever you go to, to sell something that's, uh, that's vintage or older, then they'll, they'll actually inspect it, right? They'll, they'll say, okay, there's some markings that kind of show if this was really built in the 1920s, this is how they used to build them. This is the markings of it. How, how many of you have seen the Antique Roadshow, right? That was like an awesome show for a while. And then, you know, you get tired of it after a while, but I, I, I still love it every once in a while when, I, um, when it's on, I will change it to that channel. And, and those, the people there, they're always evaluating. Okay, let me tell you what this is worth. And they'll talk to you a little bit about the history. And, and so for something to be authentic and real, there's markings for that, all right? It's more than just saying, yeah, yeah, this should be expensive. I, I think it's vintage. So there you go. There's more to it than that. Same thing in our Christian life. There's more to the Christian life than just simply saying, well, I have faith and I'm a Christian. There's some markings that should be found in our life if that is the truth. And what we started two weeks ago, we, we learned this principle from uh, verse number 14, chapter 2 and verse number 14 about works. Uh, it says this, and I'll, I'll ask you to look in, your, in the Bible there. It says, what does it profit my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, ye be ye warmed and filled. Notwithstanding, you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what do the profit? Even so, if it hath not works, it's dead being alone. If faith hath not works, it's dead being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Uh, 
Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain men, that faith without works is dead? And we learned, reading those passages, uh, one of the big truths of the Christian life. And we related it and connected it with the laws of motion. Sir Isaac Newton taught in physics and science the laws of motion. There's also the laws of motion in the Christian life. Now, the third law of motion scientifically says for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. When it comes to the Christian life and the laws of the Christian life and faith, it says this, for every action of faith, there is an equal and opposite reaction of works. All right. All action of faith will result in works. Okay. True faith results in works. Works does not give us faith. But by faith, we should result in works. And there are two examples of that that, uh, that James gives us, starting in verse number 21 down to verse number 26, which we're going to study this morning. All right. Now, this is, this is so important because I imagine when Sir Isaac Newton was sharing these laws of motion that he had observed, that some in the scientific community at that time were saying, that's a good theory prove it, right? Um, anyone that's taken a science class has had to do lab work, right? You, you do experiments. And what is the purpose of the experiment? Does anybody know? It's to prove your theory, right? Uh, as a scientist, you make a theory. I'm just gonna leave this down here. You make a theory and you say, I think this is gonna happen. Uh, and this is a, a, a principle that should happen every time. And then you go and you do experiments to prove if your theory is right or wrong, to trying to show that. Well, here's James. He's teaching these Christians that he is speaking to. He's saying, listen, the action of faith in your life should lead to the reaction of works. There should be something that proves your faith. How do I prove that? I'm going to talk about two people that prove that. But before we jump into those two people's lives, let's go ahead and pray and ask God to help us as we study his word this morning. Father, I ask that as we begin this study this morning into your word, I pray that first of all, you would fill me with your spirit. Help me to communicate the message with clarity today. But Father, I ask that your spirit would do something that I would never be able to do in a million years. And that is communicate your truth to our hearts. And Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us, that your Spirit would open our eyes, that we might uh, perceive and understand your truth. And then by the power of your Spirit, I pray that we would do uh, what James exhorts us to do, and that is to be doers of your word and not hearers only. So I pray that this morning, as we study your word, that your Spirit would work, that your presence be felt, and that at the end... Uh, we wouldn't just be hearers, but doers also of your word. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Two examples to prove that for every action of faith in our life, there ought to be a reaction of works. He uses two people. Number one, he's going to use the life of Abraham. Now, let's look at verse number 21 because he talks about it. Uh, James 2, verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? When he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar, seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. 
and he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. All right, so let's unpack this a little bit. What is James trying to teach us about Abraham? What is something that uh, he's trying to teach us about faith, I should say, through the life of Abraham? Well, there are two truths here. Uh, One truth that's major here in the life of Abraham, and it's this. If you have your notes, it's impossible for true faith to be alone. What he's saying is if you look at the life of Abraham, you'll find this. That he was a man of faith. He was the friend of God. And that it's impossible for true faith to be alone. All right? Our faith must be tested by our works. So the question we have to ask ourselves when we're thinking about, okay, I say I'm a Christian. I say I have faith. So let me ask you, is your faith alone? Is your faith alone? Or is there any kind of works right? That can test your faith to see how real it is, to see if it is something that is genuine and authentic, or if it's just you saying it's genuine and authentic. Is your faith, is my faith alone? What evidences do we have of our faith being something that is genuine, right? This is what Abraham's life teaches us, that it's impossible for true faith to be alone. Because why? Number one, because your works will justify your faith. Your works will justify your faith. Now, let me say this one more time because I think it's important. Works will not give us faith. James is not teaching that if you can do enough good things in your life, then you have faith in your life. That's not what he's teaching. But what he is teaching is this, that works, works are important because they test your faith. They give evidence to your faith. See, works can prove that your faith is something that is genuine and real. All right. Now, there's one word there that kind of throws a lot of people off, and this is the word justification. All right. Now, justification is a word that the apostle Paul uses, and it's also a a word that James here uses. Now, At first, it can seem like they're contradicting one another. Because in verse 24, James says, can't you see that justification is by faith and works? And Paul, if you go back to Romans chapter 3, it's in your notes, and we'll look at it in a moment, is saying, no, no, justification is by faith alone. So you almost want to say, well, then who's right? Is Paul right or is James right? The answer, they're both right. They're actually talking about the same thing from two different viewpoints, from two different perspectives, all right? And so here's what Paul is talking about when he's talking about justification. First, we got to define justification. Justification, and I didn't put this in your notes, but you can write it somewhere if you'd like. Justification literally means to declare righteous. To declare righteous. For instance, if you're in a courtroom and you're found not guilty, you've been justified. You've been declared righteous. Okay, that's what the word justification means. Okay. Now, it is by faith that we have been justified before God. Okay. In fact, Romans 10, 17, I put it there in your notes. 
Faith cometh by hearing, hearing the word of God. So we hear God's word. We believe. Faith is believing. We believe what the word of God says. When we believe and put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are justified before God. In other words, God looks at you and he declares you righteous. So why does he declare me righteous? Look at Romans chapter 3. All right, it's in your notes, uh, verse 24 through 26. He says this, and this is Paul writing. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation, that just means a substitute, through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Here's what Paul is saying. Justification comes through Jesus because he was just. He had no sin. He was declared righteous by God. And so when he came and died on the cross, those that believe on him, that believe he died for their sin and receive him as their savior by repenting of their sin and asking him to forgive them because he was just. The Bible says when you believe by faith on him, then God counts Jesus's righteousness to your account. Once he does that, now you've become justified. That's why Jesus is the only one that can justify us. Our works cannot. That's why Paul said, listen, it's in vain to say, well, if I can just keep God's law. This is what the Pharisees were teaching. If you can just, you know, put in the balance and if you do more good than bad, then you're okay. God's going to accept you. But here's what Paul said. Paul said, if you miss the law, if you mess up in just one, you're guilty of the whole law. So even just one white lie makes the whole law be broken, which weighs down way more. In other words, you can't get it uh, justified. You can't be declared righteous on your own by your works because you have no righteousness. So what happens? Well, Paul said, the one who is just, who is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to our earth, died on a cross because he was just. Those that believe on him, they can get justification because God counts Jesus's justness, his righteousness onto them. That's what the word imputed means. It means to count for. Okay. So Paul is saying justification by, with God is by faith. When we believe on him, we have been justified. God declares us righteous. You say, okay, I get what Paul is saying. So then why is James saying we're not justified by faith alone? He's saying faith and works. Well, what James is talking about is justification before man. Before man. One is justified before God. In other words, God is calling you and declaring you righteous. James is saying, but what about people that don't know you? How do they know if you're righteous or not? They can't see your heart. How do they know if you've been righteous or not? If you are someone of faith or not? He said, that's where works comes in. That's what James is talking about. James is saying, It's your works that prove your faith. It's what shows others your faith. If this, here's a good way to think about this because I think it is so important. If a father kills his son, what do we call that? Would that be called, if he premeditated it, it'd be called murder, right? 
Uh, normally, we would say in uh, police terms, I guess, or even legal terms, it's called a homicide, right? Um, and a homicide is when someone takes the life of someone else. That's criminal act, okay? It's criminal act according to the Constitution and the laws of the United States of America. It's uh, illegal even to the Bible's laws. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 20 that thou shalt not kill. God says that is wrong. Homicide is sin. It's wrong, period, right? We know that to be wrong. But in the legal system, there's also a term called justifiable homicide, now, if you're not familiar with this term, it simply means this, that when the life was taken of someone else, was there a reason? Was it okay to take it? Now, this defense in court is used if someone was breaking into your house and they had a gun, okay, and you took out your gun when you found out they were breaking into your house, and suddenly y'all started shooting at each other, and then you shoot them and they die. You kill them. You go before the court of law. They say, hey, homicide is against the law. You're, you're breaking the law. You got to go to court and answer. When you go to court, you say, I was sleeping in my bed at 2.30 in the morning when I heard a window break. This man came into my house. He had a weapon. He was threatening to steal and take from our family, from our home. So I had to defend myself. And in that defense, I started shooting and the bullets hit him and he died. Now, in that situation, the court would rule justifiable homicide. In other words, did you kill the person? Yes, but your actions were actually the right actions in that situation. You were justified in your actions. You're declared righteous in what you did. What you did was okay. It wasn't against the law. You didn't break the law. You're not going to go to jail. That's called justifiable homicide. Now, that's what James is talking about here. Something that says, look, your faith is proven right by your works. So think about this for a second. We're talking about Abraham. The biggest thing that Abraham is known for, right, in scriptures is for taking his son, Isaac, putting him on an altar, taking out a knife and about to kill him. That we would call homicide. Now, we know that an angel stops him so he doesn't kill Isaac. But why was he doing that in the first place? Because God told him to. God said, offer to me your son, your only son, whom thou lovest, Isaac. Now, can we see now that though that action in and of itself would have been terrible, it would have been wrong. Yet, because it was done by faith, it's a righteous thing to do. He was actually obeying what God had asked him to do. So that which was wrong was suddenly made righteous. Now, Abraham was justified because of his faith. Faith led him to do what he did. And what would normally be a bad thing is actually an act of faith. That's what James is talking about. Your faith and my faith ought to have some works behind it to show, oh yeah, that is real faith that you have. That guy doesn't just say he's Christian. No, no, I mean, like, he actually makes decisions in his family that reflect that. 
Like he doesn't just say, oh, I fear God. He actually lives in a way that he fears God. It's amazing. It's, it's something totally different. It's our works that are proving our faith. So here's a lesson. Works done by faith are now righteous and counted as righteousness because they're done by faith. Our works are now counted as righteousness because of our faith. That's why you have to get in a relationship with God before you can ever please God. That's why someone that has never put their faith in Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter how many times they come to church, it doesn't matter how many times they give, it doesn't matter how many times they help the poor, it doesn't matter how many good acts that they have done and how many good foundations they have founded to help people in different conditions of life, it doesn't matter, they're not righteous. Because you have to be declared righteous by God before any of your works count as righteousness. That's why Isaiah the prophet said, even our good works are as filthy rags in the sight of God. You can't do anything to please God. But once you are justified, now your works are also justified. That's what James is saying. So here he's saying, listen, hey, you that call yourself a Christian, where are the works that prove that? You that say, oh, man, yes, I, I, I love God. Oh, I love his word, man. Uh, the Bible is so, so precious. And taking time uh, and talking with God, oh, so precious. Okay, if that's true, did you spend time in his word this week? And how much time? I mean, seriously, how precious is it? Oh, Prayer is great. That's great. Have you been praying? Because we talk a lot about faith, but where are the actions, the works that go there with faith? You know, the word uh, there in, in, in the passage where he says the, the word wrought, all right? In verse number 22, seest thou how faith wrought with his works? You know what that word in the Greek is? Synergio, where we get the word synergy. All right. Now, synergy is uh, it's a it's a word that if you're not familiar with it, it basically means that the um, the sum of of um, how do I define it again? It's it's basically that by working together, you do way more than the individual parts uh, on their own. So. Uh, the greatest illustration of this is they had a horse that was being able to pull uh, 8,000 pounds by himself. They had another horse that beat him that was doing, and this was at a fair in Chicago, and he was pulling, this other horse was pulling 9,000 pounds. So they said, let's put them together, right, on one yoke there and see how much they can pull. Now, if one does 8,000 and the other one does 9,000, logically we would say, well, 17,000 pounds is what they should be able to pull max. You know how much they can pull? 32,000 pounds. They do a whole lot more together than they could do by just saying, uh, adding the, the two individual parts together. That's called synergy. And this is what James is talking about. He says, there's a synergy in your faith, in the Christian life. And here's the synergy. It's faith and works. And when you put them together, God's power. Impact. Effectiveness. World changing kind of power. But it's going to take faith, not by itself, 
It's going to take works, not by itself, but together. Faith and works working together, synergizing to do more. It's kind of like cement. If there's something that we lack sometimes as Christians, it's cement in our life. You say literally like Alamo cement? I'm not talking about literal Alamo cement. But if you know a little bit about cement, you know this. In order for cement to become concrete, it's got to be mixed with sand and water. All right, so you put that bag, then you get some water, some sand, and you start mixing it. And you mix it, and it gets kind of muddy because of the water. Then you let it dry, and it becomes concrete, something solid, something you can build buildings like the one we're in upon. Now, in our Christian life, we have faith, we have works, we mix them together, and suddenly we have a concrete faith that we can build upon. Suddenly there's something that God can begin to use in our life and teach us and we can begin to hold things and know things and do things that we could never have done without faith and works. This is what James is talking about. That's what faith does. But I want you to notice, secondly, that your faith will bring you closer to God. Okay? Faith will bring you closer to God. It's not, simply, it's not simply something that will justify your, uh, your, your faith, uh, but works is something, but faith is something that will bring you closer uh, to God. You see, Abraham was brought closer to God through his faith that was genuine and real. Listen, anything that lacks authenticity cannot possibly bring you closer to God. Any faith that lacks any kind of authenticity. And that's why so many people can talk about faith. And that's why we have so much talk in our society, even today, about the Christian impact in Christian churches. And I can tell you in the valley, uh, there are more than 100 churches in the valley. And yet our impact is so minimal because that faith isn't working within anything and it's not bringing us closer to God because there's many, many that their faith isn't really bringing them closer because they're trying to do faith alone. They don't want no works to come into that. They don't want their faith to lead them to do something. It's just something of head knowledge. But when you have faith and works working together and synergizing, it begins to bring you closer to God. I love that it doesn't say about Abraham, he was the acquaintance of God. He wasn't God's neighbor. James says, Abraham, because of his faith and his works, was considered the friend of God. There's a world of difference between an acquaintance and a friend. That synergy in Abraham's life of faith and works brought him closer to God. Listen, you and I cannot get closer to God by merely having head knowledge and spiritual understanding. There's a lot of people that you know, they'll, they'll read something, they'll hear some podcasts, and they'll, oh, yes, I'm spiritual because I know I can define justification for you. I can tell you what's the difference between James' justification and Paul's justification. And I say, man, that is great. That is awesome. But there's more to it than just understanding that. You say the spiritual understanding and the head knowledge that God gives us must come together with obedience and righteousness if it's going to make anything concrete in our life. So, 
Saying, I love church, I love God, I love the Bible, is all great. But if it's not moving you to read your Bible and get involved in church and serve God with your life, then it means nothing. That's all James is saying. It means nothing. It means no concreteness in your life. In fact, Paul says, all it does is make you arrogant because knowledge puffs up a person. It makes you feel like, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty spiritual. No, you're just arrogant. You're just prideful. James says you have to have this both. Let me give you the second principle quickly this morning. Faith works the same no matter your history. Abraham teaches us about faith and works working together. The second one and the second example that is used is this of Rahab. And here's the principle. Faith works the same no matter your history. The example of Rahab is... It's, it's, it's quite an amazing example. You know, Rahab was a Gentile. She wasn't of a Jewish heritage. Okay? Even though she's in the line of Christ, she was a Gentile. And she was someone that lived in the city of Jericho during a time when the Israelites were actually coming to conquer in Jericho. And so she was destined to be dis- destroyed. Okay? Living in a land where people were actually going to come and destroy her home, and destroy her family. This is who Rahab is. And in this city of Jericho, she was someone that was not known as someone that was godly or good. She was someone that was living a life that was immoral. And yet, in that time, the spies come, they check out Jericho, she talks with the spies, she hears what God is going to do, she believes that God's going to destroy Jericho, she believes that God is the one true God, so she hides the spies, and then lets them go, and then she tells them, hey, um, when y'all come to destroy the city, can you spare me? And they said, let's just hang a red sash, and your house will be spared, and all that come into your house will also be spared. And so Rahab, because of her faith, led her to go and hang a red sash out of her window. Because of her faith, she was able to tell you know, her family members and say, hey, if you just stay in our house, in my house, it's not, it's not going to be destroyed. Well, how are they going to destroy the city? These walls are huge. I, I don't know. But I know about that God. And that God has destroyed other nations. And I'm telling you, They said he's coming and they're going to destroy this city. But if we just stay in my house, I have that red sash out the window. Ours will not be destroyed. And by faith, she did that work. Now, I love that because the reality about faith is that faith works no matter what your history is. You see, you can live by faith like everybody else. This is what James is saying. Look, Abraham, oh, but Abraham was the friend of God. Hey, Abraham was, man, he walked with God every day. Abraham, I can't, I can't live up to that. James says, listen, Abraham teaches us about faith and works. working, But Rahab does too. And she wasn't one that was walking godly all her life. She wasn't one that was, uh, had that kind of testimony, but she was someone that was living by faith. And that faith, listen, the same way that Abraham was living by faith, Rahab had to live by faith. And this morning, the way that Abraham and Rahab uh, had to live by faith, you and I have to live by faith. We have to live by faith like everybody else. Even with a checkered past, 
By the way, you'll notice that it says Rahab the harlot. Okay? She was a whore. She was, she was someone that was immoral and impure in her life sexually, and yet God used her. Yet God saved her and changed her, and she was able to live by faith. It doesn't matter what your history is and what your past is. You can start living by faith today. You live by faith the same way I live by faith. Isn't that awesome to even think about? Listen, you don't have to be a pastor's kid. You don't have to have a degree in uh, biblical theolo- uh, theology. You, you don't have to have all this, you know, being raised in a, in a godly home and, and being saved at camp at the age of 10. You, you don't have to have that kind of life for God to work in your life, for you to be able to live by faith. You don't. That's what Rahab teaches us. Faith is the same. It works no matter what. No matter what your history is, you can still live by faith just like everyone else, if you're willing to. If you choose to live by faith and show that faith in obedience by doing works, by proving and testing that faith. But that's, that's something that you and I have to choose. It's kind of like the man, I don't know if you heard about that man that was, uh, he goes into the gas station and uh, there's an attendant, a gas attendant that was there, and he was cleaning windshields. So he comes over to the man's car, and he starts cleaning the windshield. Did it really nice, gets it all, all done. And the man looks, and he goes, ah, this is terrible. Redo it. Redo it again. The gas attendant is like, okay. And sticks the, uh, the little squeegee there into the Windex, starts scrubbing, and does it all again. The man says, that's twice already. This is, this is terrible. Can you not just clean my windshield, please? Gas attendant says, oh, okay. He gets there and starts doing the Windex again and wipes it down. And he said, man, this is the third time. And before he could say another word, his wife, who was in the car, was so embarrassed, reaches over, takes off his glasses, cleans his glasses, and says, now how does the windshield look? You know, sometimes we, we're trying to blame everybody else for our lack of faith. Listen, no, no, no. You can live by faith just like everybody else. You can choose and have authentic faith. You can obey and you can put your spiritual knowledge and combine it with obedience to God and you can have a concrete kind of faith in your life if you choose. If you choose. James is simply saying this this is what faith and works does. I'm just talking about practical, real faith. James is talking to people that have been scattered. They left Jerusalem. He said, hey, I don't know what city you're going to. I don't know what God has for you, but here's what I can tell you. You got to live by faith. And if that faith is any kind of real, any kind of authentic, there'll be works with it. And if you're lacking that, then you're probably lacking faith, real faith. Let me give you the last thought and then we're done. Your faith can only make a difference if it's alive. That's why on verse 26, after telling about Abraham, talking about Rahab, he finishes saying, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Very simple, very simple. Real faith has works to prove it. If you're lacking any kind of works to your faith, you probably don't have genuine faith. It's probably not authentic Because real faith, authentic faith, it's impossible for it to be alone. It's got to have works with it. But anybody can have that kind of faith. Yeah, Abraham had that faith, but so did Rahab. 
We all can have and live by that faith. But listen, the only way that that's even going to make a difference in our world, if it's not faith, is life. It's incredible to think about this, and it's also very convicting. I thought about this. I was very convicted. Because so many times we want to talk about the lack of effectiveness as Christians. And we want to blame it on everybody else. Oh, pastor, it's because, hey, the U.S. is changing. Have you seen some of the laws? And No, I'm not happy with some of the laws that are coming in. But the laws that are coming in are not making us less effective or more effective. As Christians, as the name of Christ and the gospel moves forward, it's not going to move forward because of laws in this country, good or bad. It's going to move forward because there's faith that is alive in people. That's why. It's not the laws or the lack of freedom coming. It's not because, well, you know what? You know, people in our society today, they're just more wicked than they've ever been. Really? Are you sure about that? Have you read the history of the Roman Empire when James was reading this? They had senators that were doing, I wouldn't even say what they're doing from the pulpit because I'd be, I, it would make me blush of some of the sexual sins that they did. And they did it openly. They didn't do it privately. So before we say, oh, it's because our society is just so much more wicked, it was wicked then too. That's not what stops the gospel from having any kind of effectiveness in the world. It's not because, oh, laws are changing. It's not because, oh, society is just so wicked. It's not because, oh, the people's heart today, they're just not open to the gospel like they used to be. Listen, no heart has ever been open to the gospel. None. That's why the Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that seeketh after God. There is none that doeth and uh, that, that followeth after righteousness. None of us. There is no heart that would be, oh, yes, now that you're saying that, now I'm open to it. No. No. That's why you need to have the power of God in your life. That's why you need to have a faith that it's alive so that you can have effectiveness. Because faith all alone, uh, by itself, all alone, does nothing. It's dead. James says your faith ought to move you to do something. That's why I love what the psalmist said. He said in Psalm 85, verse 6, Will thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? That's what we need. If our faith is dead today, if it's not effective, then what we need is like a defibrillator to just go, boo, to our faith. Give us a faith that is alive. It starts moving. That moves us to do something, to say something, to be something. So what do we do? What do we do to make a difference? Have a faith that is alive. That's what James says. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Make sure that your faith is authentic. Ask yourself, is it? I love what Warren Wearsby, I don't know if I put this in your notes, but Warren Wearsby said this. He said, the mind understands the truth. The heart desires the truth and the will acts upon the truth. The mind understands the truth, the heart desires the truth, and the will acts upon the truth. So the challenge is simple. Put your faith into action. 1986, or 1982, I'm sorry, in Melbourne, Australia, this, this man, Nick, Nick Vujicic, was born. Without any warning, without really any explanation, he was born with no legs and no arms. In his testimony, he says that as he would go to school, he got bullied quite a bit. 
He was made fun of and mocked so much to the point that in his teenage years, he considered him uh, taking his own life, committing suicide because he was so uh, depressed and so discouraged about where he was at and what had happened to him. But then something happened. The gospel came into his life. And it revived him. It made him alive. And his, his faith began to work in his life. And he began to not just say he had faith, but show that faith and demonstrate that faith and live in obedience to God. And God began to use him. And getting through his teenage years at the age of 19, they actually asked him to come to a conference and he would just share his testimony. And he did. Then he wrote a book called Unstoppable where he talks about how he got through those times of suicide, how he got through those years of, of, of being bullied and being in depression and, and how he makes it through life even though he has no arms and no legs and how his faith has changed him. Literally on his website, he started a ministry called Life Without Limbs. Life Without Limbs, according at least to their calculations and the conferences that they've done and sharing the gospel, they've reached at least one million people, they said, with the gospel. Their goal is to get to 1 billion by 2028. So why do you say all that? Because I say, here's a man with no arms and no legs, but he has faith that is alive. And that faith moved him to do something. It moved him to say something. It moved him to live a certain way. And people look at him, and they say, man, that's a man of faith. He's not just a successful guy. Not just an author or an entrepreneur. No, he's more than that. He's known as a man of faith. Even people that are not saved will give that testimony about him. He's been ultimately successful and effective. Why? Because he has a faith that is alive. James simply says this. If it's authentic, real faith that you have, it won't be alone. It'll have works that justify it. If we can live a faith that is justified by works, then we can live it just like anybody else can live it, just like Rahab can live it. And you'll find your faith to have something concrete and alive, and that's how we affect our world. That's how we change this valley. That's how we're going to go down over here to Benson Palm and reach people. And you're going to go down to Sherry Road and reach people and go down to Ware and reach people and you're going to go down to Peñitas and reach people not because we're so great and we have this great program no because our faith is alive and it's moving us to reach them and share with them the power of the gospel because if we don't if all we say is well we have faith but it does nothing James says then dead Challenge this week, simple. Let's have a real faith that lives out and works, that's proven and tested by what we're doing. I want to challenge you this week, do that. Obey. Obey every impulse of the Holy Spirit. Everything that, the God, that, the, that our God teaches us, put it into practice this week and see how effective your faith can be for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word and for your truth. Father, truly, for every action of faith, there ought to be that reaction 
of works. I pray that our faith this morning as a church here at Bethany Baptist Church wouldn't be found to be a faith that's dead. Oh, that our faith would move us, that it would convict us, that it would inspire us, that it would motivate us. We would not be able to just keep it to ourselves, but that, Father, we would begin to live by faith truly, and that our works would justify what we are doing by faith. Oh, I, I pray that we would be effective this week, effective at our jobs. Many of us tomorrow will be going to a job at 8, 9, 10 in the morning, and we'll be there for several hours. We'll rub shoulders with people that don't know this gospel. Oh, Father, help us to be effective in our faith. Help us to show them that what we have is real. It's not just something we talk about. It's something we live. Oh, so I pray, Father, and I ask, I beg that you would make our church effective in its faith and in its work. Help us to bring them together to synergize for your honor and for your glory. Oh, Father, I pray you'd work in our hearts to do that. Work this week in all that we say and do. And we'll give you all the honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.